This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. I'm Dr. Kyson Frank, and we're here starting a new series on mold and how it affects us in ways that we probably aren't even aware of. I kind of consider it the hidden health assassin. So we've got several episodes coming up here that we're going to go over mold and how it affects you and what you can do and how you can get victory over it in your life. So to start things off today on episode one of this series, uh, I want to talk about how mold has always been an adversary for us as humans, as long as we've needed water, as long as we needed shelter, it's been an issue on every continent and affects every class of people, from those who live in slums all the way to a Fifth Avenue penthouse. Everybody can have issues with mold, and sometimes it's more hidden than we think, and it can have a more detrimental effect. So, um, mold needs just a few things to survive: a dark, cool place with little air movement to thrive. So as Sun Tzu, the Chinese mastermind and strategist once said, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So in this case, the enemy of mold is light, especially sunlight's even better, a warm, dry place with plenty of air movement to dry out that environment and take away the necessities that mold needs to survive. If you've ever taken a walk through the woods or been hiking, you can find these pieces of wood or logs. If you ever flip them over, the bottom side is deteriorating, and that is because the mold is recycling and cleaning up the bottom of that wood. And part of that is because there's a lack of light underneath there. There's a lot of condensation of moisture that's accumulated down there, and it allows mold to really thrive. And it plays into its uh, role here, and uh, Dr. Caleb is going to talk more about that here and how it uh, works in our environment. So... um, it's a big problem for a lot of us from natural disasters, hurricanes, things like that. We have water come in. Sometimes tornadoes can create different uh, issues there. Uh, mechanical breakdowns in our appliances. We have water that can spread. We had a personal uh, one that we had at my house was we had a dishwasher start leaking and went through the ceiling and floor. And we had a lot of work to clean that up. And I had the foresight to know what to do to make sure that mold didn't grow. So we were able to really get after that. But um, there's other sides of it where we start to get, uh, settling in buildings and water starts leaking in or in other areas where storms come through and water pumps can't keep up and moisture accumulates. And so mold has this ability to thrive in these environments. And so as we go through this series, you're going to learn a whole lot more about mold, um, how uh, its ability to adapt to all of its surroundings from all kinds of different things and how it can make it more dangerous as it does so. So I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Luke Moore. Thanks, Dr. Kyson. Um, just wanted to hit briefly on the top three families of mold that we typically see um, patients struggling with in our office, and that is uh, Aspergillus, Cladosporium, and 
This is a mouthful for most people, but Stachybotrys chartarum, or chartarum, depending on who you ask, uh, that's your <laughs> charcuterie, he says. <laughs> <laughs> Do not um, eat it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't eat, eat that one. Don't eat that one. Which is your toxic black mold. Uh, just real quick, I want to hit on what to look out for. The aspergillus, uh, how it appears initially is white, and then it can turn a shade of yellow, green, brown, or sometimes black. And it just depends on which specific species of aspergillus is present. Uh, it is a very common uh, mold found both indoors and outdoors. And most people breathe in aspergillus every day without getting sick. That's not to say you can't get sick. Obviously, some people do. But in most people who have an otherwise healthy immune system, um, they're breathing it in. And obviously, people who are a little bit more, um, their immune systems are taxed. Uh, they're, they're the ones that are going to have a little bit more hard time with the, uh, the mold in the air. Um, Dr. Craig's going to hit on more of the signs and symptoms, but the severity of infection can vary from mild to severe, just depending on the individual. Uh, there are approximately 180, uh, different types of aspergillus and up to 40 that are known to cause infections in humans. So it could be even more than that. Uh, let's see. According to PenMed, aspergillus can be found in, again in the air we breathe and can come from uh, growing on dead leaves or decomposing organic material, stored grain, and compost piles and decaying vegetation, and can also be found on marijuana leaves. Cladosporium, moving on to that, the second one, this is a spore-producing mold causing, uh, and once again, Dr. Craig's going to hit more on the signs and symptoms, but can cause mild allergies and even asthma attacks, and on rare occasions can cause infection. Uh, this appearance of cladosporium is going to be uh, more of a brown, blackish brown, or a gray-green color, and there's over 500 species of cladosporium. And it can be found in carpets, wallpaper, windowsills, fabrics, vent covers, and damp areas like bathrooms, basements, etc. Um, let's see. Also, it prefers temps. Most molds, at least the three that I'm talking about here, prefers temperatures anywhere from 40 degrees to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. And then lastly, the stachybotrys, the black mold. This is a mycotoxin producer that's known to cause many building-related diseases. It's greenish-blackish in appearance. It prefers a moisture environment. Its strongest correlation, this is a, the type of mold that has the strongest correlation to what we would call sick building syndrome and is found largely on drywall and wallpaper. Um, and this was the one where I think probably, I, I don't know if anyone else is going to hit on this later in the series, but um, this is probably what caused people to really start considering mold is in the early 90s, in 1993, 94, there was an outbreak of pulmonary hemorrhage uh, in infants in Cleveland, Ohio, where the the found, the found finding was, excuse me, where the black mold was growing in these homes of these infants. And that was a common underlying factor. And of course, we're going to dive into more into more depth as far as signs and symptoms and, and the different types. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Caleb. All right. Thank you. So one thing I'd like to talk about is really what is mold? You know, what is the purpose of mold? Because like most things in life, mold in and of itself isn't bad. It isn't evil. It's just when it's outside of its normal function or when it's invading our areas that we really have issues with it. But when we look at mold, mold is a type of fungus or part of the fungi kingdom. It's not a plant, but similar to how plants you know, reproduce with seeds, they reproduce with spores. They spread out these spores. Now, spores are very microscopic, and they're extremely small, and they're easily carried 
by the wind, even over great distances. So you'll see mold that can travel anywhere, <clears throat> you know, from just a few feet to 100 yards, a couple miles, whatever. I mean, it can travel great distances and be carried through and even just through our windows, we usually get a lot of that coming in or through the doors. And, you know, I think we're going to hit more on that in later episodes or in later discussions. But really what mold is, it's kind of like our digestive enzymes. You know, if you look at our um, digestive tract, when we eat food to help break that down, we have enzymes that break it down into smaller parts that we can actually use that can actually be transferred over into our bloodstream and used by the cells to create necessary things for us to keep living and to keep thriving, and to keep being healthy. In the same way, mold does that with dead material, dead plants, dead animals, you know, things that are needing to decompose to provide nutrients to the plants, living plants around it. And, you know, I think most of us, you know, I learned this uh, even to some degree back when I was 10 watching The Lion King, you know, Mufasa goes through his whole thing on the circle of life, right? <laughs> so I don't remember even, him mentioning mold in it, though. That doesn't mention mold. <laughs> But, you know, we have to advance upon the the elementary level of understanding. <laughs> but, yeah, that was actually probably one of my first thought processes or first initiations into realizing how things decay, things decompose, and how that's reused in the, in the world around us. And if you think about how our world would be impacted if there was a mold, there'd be a lot more dead branches, a lot more dead trees lying around, and there'd be a lot less living ones or a lot less healthy living ones because we wouldn't there the plants wouldn't be getting the nutrients they need from that broken down dead plant or dead tree or whatever it's decomposing to bring that back into that natural cycle so our world would look a lot different if we didn't have mold now again like i said the problem is when mold invades our world in specific ways that are detrimental to us and can cause challenges for us <clears throat> now as we go through this series one thing i want to highlight too is because we always want to be thinking about the hope part you know we want to think about what we need to know and what we want to know but we also need to be focusing on hope and as we go through this series we're going to be talking a lot about how it's kind of like a war right uh, dr christ was already mentioning that with uh, his introduction but when you deal with mold it's going to grow wherever it can any type of fungus is going to grow wherever it can, where their spores get to, where they land in an environment or an environment is changed to suit them. Just like with seeds for a plant, the plant lands in good soil and has the sunlight and has nutrients it needs. It's going to grow, right? Same thing with mold. If it has that dark, damp environment and it has that organic material that it can use to as food to grow, it's going to build up. So a weird example of this is actually, um, it's not particularly with mold, but it's with fungus in general, is one morning when we were living in Florida, uh, my wife actually went out to the kitchen to get a glass of water, and then she comes back quickly and goes, with a weird look on her face, says, you need to come see this. So we walk out into the living room, I'm looking around, I'm going, okay, so what am I supposed to be finding here? And I look over in the corner, right next to our bookshelf, there is a mushroom growing out of the carpet. And it was actually a pretty decent size. I mean, it was probably like this tall for those of you that are watching, you know, it was a few inches and it was, had a really flat round head on it and it had grown up overnight. But 
because we found out later is because our bathroom or our bathtub was leaking under the wall and it was getting absorbed by that bookshelf. And with a carpet, it had the appropriate environment to be able to grow. So one thing to keep in mind with mold or any fungus really is it will grow if it can. And that's why we have to treat it like a war because we have to you know, prevent it as much as possible from ha being able to gain the ground or being able to find the environment in our area that's going to impact us so we can keep it under control. And again, this is something that's a challenge with advancements that we've had. Uh, we're going to talk about this more later on in different series, but um, it, it is a challenge, you know, and we're going to go into more of how that transmission continues with uh, Dr. Ben. Hey, all right. Thank you, Dr. Caleb. Appreciate that. A um, little bit of redundancy on a couple of things we're going to discuss, but I think it's important that we kind of have some understanding of how this actually all works. And so as the doctors previously have talked about how uh, mold actually is produced, it's produced from spores. So the real question is, what is a spore? Right now, we know that all fungi, mold, algae, they all replicate or reproduce via something that's called a spore. And a spore is microscopic. You can't see it with the naked eye. Right. It's something that has to be uh, produced. And the interesting thing is it doesn't need to combine with any other mold to reproduce. Provided it's given all the right things that it needs to grow and develop, it can be uh, replicate or reproduce itself all by itself. The mold spores are so small, as I said, you can't see them, and yet they're everywhere around us, all right? You cannot avoid being exposed to uh, these mold spores. And as Dr. Caleb mentioned, think of it like a little seed, invisible seed. We're all kind of aware of how a seed works. The problem with a spore, it <laughs> works a lot quicker and has a lot higher production rate than any type of plant seed or anything else, right? They float through the air and they can land almost anywhere. Right. And then once they take root, right, they have to find a humid a surface on which to land. But once they do, they can proliferate really quick and take hold in places that have like poor ventilation and high humidity areas. In less than 24 hours, they will start producing. Some in less than 12 hours can start producing or replicating themselves. So we know that that molds producing spores that have harsh conditions as well, even like dryness and lack of food substances. And like a seed, they become dormant and it can just hang out and lay there until the right environment does come back. And then they turn once again, like seeds will turn back into a point where they can grow. So mold spores basically fall into two different types of categories. Number one, we have what we call in the environment, which most mold spores, as Dr. Kid was talking about, are carried by the wind, right? Then we have other mold spores that travel via some other source, such as animals, insects, flowing water sources, and even people via their clothing, their hair, their skin, uh, their feet, and, and or their shoes. Now, the problem with these spores is unlike mold, they can also cause certain problems, as was mentioned uh, in some of the uh, breathing issues that Dr. Luke was talking about. And when we really look at that mold in a spore form, it's actually a biotoxin. And as it breaks down to produce, it produces a toxic gas and more spores back into the air. Now, as we're going to find out with Dr. Craig, when these toxins enter the body, there's a lot of different things that happen. The one thing I want to pay attention to in the spore form is that it gets inside the lungs, affects that part of our immune system that connects directly to the brain. 
And research has shown that those spores as a mycotoxin actually change the dynamic of our cognitive abilities or our thought processes, our hormone regulate, regulation, and our immune development. And again, Dr. Craig will go through that. So sometimes you'll hear a term called a toxic mold, right? Which means that they are mycotoxin or biotoxin producing spores that are also going on within that category, right? The biggest thing about mold spores is they're, they're an irritant. As I said, they can affect the immune system and start causing these problems. So how does mold then get indoors? As we mentioned, right? It comes through open doors, uh, any area that has an invisible a crack, invisible to us, but yet small enough that air can get through, open doors, open windows as well, uh, the home's heating and air conditioning, ventilation system, what's called HVAC systems, or anything else that comes in from outside that we tend to forget about, such as I mentioned earlier, clothing, hair, skin, shoes, et cetera, but also pets, shopping bags, suitcases, purses, backpacks, briefcases, cell phone cases. We'll talk about some of that later. And once mold gets inside, if it has the right conditions, then it connects with the moisture. And now we're going to start seeing some of the other factors that we will talk about in later episodes as well. But it's in around your sinks, your bathtubs, your showers. Don't forget your shower curtains. Don't forget the mats on the floor. Don't forget your towels. Anywhere you have any leaky pipe uh, or any conditions, Dr. Cannabis talked about the bathroom tub leaking right next to the, the carpet and, and the book rack. And all of a sudden, I'm in the bookshelf and all of a sudden all the right environment was there. It's mainly around windows. It's in basements, crawl spaces, and even attics. Wherever a water vapor transfer occurs, you can get mold spores. The good or bad about that is they can latch onto any type of material, fabric, carpet, paper, leather, wood, ceiling tiles, dust, paint, wallpaper, insulation. And that's where we'll see most of the mold development actually growing and, and occurring. So we talk about you can't stop the exposure. We're constantly being exposed. And as Dr. Luke and Kate both mentioned earlier, is dependent upon the health of the person who is exposed is going to determine upon the reaction that they're getting. What we want to do then is pay attention to how do you get rid of mold or the mold spores. We'll talk about that for their episodes. But most people think that if they keep their house clean and dry, they get rid of this transmission of these spores inside the house. And we find that to not be true, right? Because even the slightest amount of moisture can produce a mold colony, and that mold colony can start producing and start having some issues. So the question then that we're trying to find out is, since they are airborne and since they do travel so far, how far do molds travel, right? Well, as mentioned earlier, we know that they can travel within several uh, distances of either yardage or even acreages, if we want to talk about. They have found some mold travel as far as several different miles uh, along the uh, different pathway. But once it spreads, it creates new spores and new colonies, and then that starts causing some issues. And colonies build in as little as one to 12 days to create this huge, massive thing that starts growing if everything's there, right? So left untreated, it can spread through an entire house in a matter of days or weeks or even months, and then the whole house is infected, right? And then the last thing I want to kind of bring up on about that is what we forget is the exposure into a lot of research that's been done into college dorms, right? And it's interesting that the college lifestyle tends to produce a lot of mold producing areas and in the housing, it really seems to promote the colony growth of the mold. 
So if you know anybody who's in school, college specifically, and they're living in those environments, and they have some associated learning conditions while they're in college, that might be something worth looking into. So with that, I'm turning over to Dr. Craig, and he'll go through a lot of the signs and symptoms for us. Well, as was mentioned, I do get a list off the signs and symptoms. Um, we're going to start with the, the typical, which would be expected since it is more, or we think of it from an airborne perspective. You're going to have the effect on the respiratory system, the sinuses, your stuffy nose, itchy, watery eyes, sneezing, coughing, uh, maybe even a little bit of skin rash if you have direct skin contact. Obviously, in our office, we go way more in depth than that. So here's my question is, what's the most unique symptom you guys have seen related to a mold issue with one of your patients? Well, uh, one of the most extreme cases I've ever seen was <clears throat> I had a young gentleman that had, his mom sent his picture and he's blowing out just giant globules of blood and snot and everything. She goes, something's wrong here. We're not sure what's going on. And one of the uh, his mom's uh, relatives had died and had a large amount of uh, cloth samples and everything else. She's a seamstress. And so they're trying to salvage all these and use them for other things. And what we found was there's over 20 different types of mold that he had received from this stuff. He couldn't breathe. He was struggling. And it was just picking all this stuff up and getting into the air and bringing it in. And the entire family got sick. They got in the house. I said, you got to get out of the house right away. I said, get rid of it, burn it, do whatever you need to do. But you do not want to be around. I wouldn't even try to wash it. You don't want to get that stuff in your washing machine stuck in there, start spreading to the clothes. You want to exfiltrate that out of the house as soon as possible. And we had to come up with some pretty um, – I don't want to say radical, but heavy, intense treatment to really pull him out of that. And it took us a good yeah. uh, three to four days to really get him out of that. And the rest of the family was struggling a little bit too. But it it put him in a crisis situation very quickly and and just that exposure to that. And so when we think about like all the different things that Dr. Bowers was talking about, where are these things hiding at? You know, especially garages, you know, things that you've kept mm -hmm. in storage. Uh, if you live more in the southern part of the United States, you get a lot more humidity that builds up in there. It gives more of a an area for it to grow or if you have water leaking in. So just different things like this that were stored in a back room of a house for who knows how many years gave it the ability for it to grow with the moisture and be able to create this huge biological bomb, basically, that was just waiting for somebody to come along. And it just absolutely just waylaid them as a family, especially this kid. So Anybody else? What's that? Yeah, for, for me, Dr. Craig, I, I had a little nine-year-old girl that she had this chronic cough and the parents basically said, yeah, she's had that all of her life. And they weren't seeking care for that when they came in, but she had this weird rash all over her body. And, you know, and everything that we do in functional medicine, SRT, all the stuff that we go through, I thought it was a mast cell issue. Well, eventually we found out that it was a spore-related issue that she had trapped in her lungs. And for some reason, her lungs was the right environment for this mold and this the spore to continually produce and it was creating all these different toxins and as the body tried to eradicate it out the skin that's where we actually tested and found mold in the outer layer of her skin and we were able to trace that all the way back into the hyaluronic region down into the medial uh, aspect of the lung and actually give her some pretty in intense treatment to clean that out and we'll talk about treatment uh, patterns later but that was a very unique finding that for them, she just had this chronic cough and had it all her life, and nobody knew why. And nine years of age is finally showing up in a different way. So, yeah, I wouldn't say anything as far as like extreme symptomatology goes, but just to the point where one of my patients, um, she was very afraid to even just leave the house, 
And um, one in particular place she knew that did have mold was uh, her dentist's office. And so, but she really appreciates this dentist and he took a more natural approach. Anyways, I'm not going <laughs> to get into get into all that, but um, he did a good enough job that she didn't want to switch. And so um, she just kind of dealt with it. But anywhere else, like if she left the house and went to another building, she just was floored. And so after going through and doing um, our treatments and stuff that we gave her, she was able to, she caught herself. She didn't notice it immediately, but she's like, oh my gosh, I'm leaving the house and nothing's happening to me. And it took about another week or two for her to notice that like, oh, this is working really well, actually. So that was cool to give her the confidence to be able to leave the house without getting just totally destroyed. Amen. Well, Dr. Craig, there's this uh, one patient that we were working with that uh, was uh, having an issue with some of this in their actual liver. That was uh, playing into it, which led to some interesting things, especially emotionally and some of those other things. You want to talk a little bit more about that case? Yeah, we will later on. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, with what I looked up, uh, it reads kind of like a drug commercial. So here are some of the things that can occur with mold. Fatigue, weakness, muscle aches and cramps, headaches, sensitivity to bright lights, unusual pains, abdominal pains, nausea, diarrhea, chronic sinus infections, chest pain, shortness of breath, joint pain with morning stiffness, cognitive impaired, skin sensitivity, numbness and tingling, sensitivity to electrical shocks, metallic taste in the mouth, excessive thirst, menorrhagia, disequilibrium and dizziness, appetite swings and weight gain, anxiety and depression, mood swings, night sweats, frequent urination, body temperature dysregulation, impotence, odd tics and spasm, and seizure-like events. If you experience any of these symptoms, call us immediately. Right? Oh, I just feel like you needed some upbeat music there. <laughs> exactly. And then, then we have a pharmaceutical commercial. Exactly. You have to read it twice as fast. Exactly. Oh, like your font is too big over there. Exactly. It's too easy for you to read there. So here's what I think is interesting. that This will kind of drive us into this next episode is the reason there are so many v- varied symptoms is that not only do we get exposure through our respiratory system, but the mold and the mold toxins can basically go anywhere within our body. And so we can have mm-hmm. this wide variety of symptoms that affects us. And we're going to talk about basically, as already has kind of been hinted to or talked about, the mold, the modes of exposure that can occur are so wide and so varied that that's what we're going to talk about. Well, thanks for joining us with, on this episode. We hope that it's been informative. Join us on our next episode where we will talk about not only where mold can be found, but also where it can hide, including places you might not even think about. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.